um, really comes down to that one word leverage. You can find uh, leverage. You don't have to work yourself into a grave. And uh, I wasn't going to be, I'm not an Elon Musk or a Walt Disney or a Steve Jobs. I'm also you know, not a maniac or a tyrant. I'm just a normal person who wants to have a good income, but also have a life. You're listening to the Unstoppable Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. Today we have with us James Schramko. He's the author of Work Less, Make More. He has coached thousands of business owners online through his membership programs. And since buying his first laptop in 2005, James has sold well over more than $10 million online. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Brian. It's great to be here and uh, on a podcast where there's been lots of other interesting characters as well. Absolutely, man. So I've been a longtime fan of your work. Um, you know, I definitely understand your journey, but for people who've never heard of your journey before, uh, how did everything start for you? Uh, well, my mum and dad had intimate relations and then I was born. Uh, I guess <laughs> I didn't have much say in that. Uh, but I was born in, born in Australia, uh, went through usual sort of suburban upbringing, but in a fairly wealthy area, actually, and went to a nice school. I've got a sister. Life is pretty good. And then uh, I didn't really enjoy school that much. I was just a little bit young for my year. Um, didn't love it. And after school, I started some study and my parents had a bit of a financial setback. So I had to go into full-time employment. And at the time in Australia, there was a recession. And a lot of young listeners won't have ever seen a recession, but it was pretty savage. So I went into debt collection and I went through, uh, in my career, I went from debt collection to finance, to technology around mobile phones, and then to uh, the automotive industry, BMW first and then Mercedes-Benz for many years after that. Worked my way through sales roles to management roles to general management. And in the end, Mercedes-Benz was pointing me to dealerships that needed to be fixed up. And at the same time as doing that last role, I was learning how to build a website and build my own online business. And around about uh, 2008, I uh, quit my job and went off on my own into my own business. So for over the last decade, I've had a great run uh, building online businesses and coaching other online businesses. Yeah. When you first started, uh, I guess uh, the first thing was debt collection, right? That was like the, the first part of your journey um, into that. And was that something that you sort of uh, fell into because there was demand for it? It was definitely demand for it because people weren't able to pay their bills and I had some training working for my grandfather as a timber broker of handling stuff over the telephone I was probably 19 about 19 when I got this job so I wasn't um, you know I didn't have much experience and the job role sounded very impressive it was trainee account manager and it was with Venn Brown collections and I'm pretty sure I didn't even know what a collections company did until I went in for the interview and I managed to get the job and I was a trainee account manager, which pretty much meant I was kind of like an apprentice debt collector doing telephone sales 
um, collecting money for things that people had already consumed from um, equipment through to services. Like, you know, they serviced their car and didn't pay the service centre, then I would have to phone them up and ask for them to make their payment. And I did learn a lot about the legal process. Uh, we were serving legal papers on people having sheriff come around and take their things and, and uh, I had to do a course at the time on um, private inquiry and debt collection it was called commercial agents practice so I learned a lot about the legalities of it and the technicalities of it and it was really quite interesting when I got into it but I was only in that for about three months uh, when I moved across to General Motors Finance and I still did telephone debt collection but after, um, after nine months of doing that at GMAC, I went out into the field and now I started repossessing cars and collecting payments face-to-face. And that was like next level of um, experience, next level of learning. But also, I actually quite enjoyed repossessing cars. And that might sound weird, but it was really? kind of like <laughs> uh-huh. being allowed to steal a car. <laughs> okay, I see. Wow. And, you know, it seems like all these were different fields that you were going in between. Um, And, you know, I I know a little bit about your story and it seems like you found success in every field that you sort of went into, right? Do you think it's something that was like you're you're just uniquely talented um, in a certain way or was it you found a system in every single, you know, field that you went into? Uh, look, I, th- I think uh, certainly you get some predisposition to your upbringing, um, but I, I did look for the patterns and the formulas that I could repeat, even though I didn't realise it at the time. You know, I was lucky enough that I'd read a book on selling when I was 12 and I didn't understand what selling was, but I picked up some of the lingo. And working with my grandfather gave me really good skills on the telephone that most people will never have or learn partly because he was extremely blind and he was particularly sensitive to tonality and he could hear what people were saying, even if they weren't saying it with their words. So he taught me to really listen and to understand. And when I did find um, myself in a telephone role, I just excelled at it and, and I started banking wins. Now, at the time, I was also having sporting success. I used to sail and I made my way up to second in the world titles. So I was transferring a lot of my sporting knowledge across to business. And I was also transporting some of my business wins across to sailing. So I started to piece it all together and I work a lot with metaphors. And once you understand metaphors, you can um, learn more about what's going to happen. And the, the closest I've ever seen to this since is discovering Charlie Munger's mental models. And realizing that there are certain algorithms or models that we can incorporate that will give us a higher chance of success. So I do think other people can learn this. You're not born with it. It's just knowing that they exist and then pursuing them. Mm, Absolutely. So while you were working and you were uh, selling cars um, during that time, uh, I remember in your book, you mentioned that you were reading a bunch of books on selling, like unlike other uh, car salesmen, 
Yes. Uh, when I was selling, I, I read every book I could find on the topic of selling. And when I became a sales manager, I read every book on the topic of sales management. And then I expanded way beyond that into personal mindset and then wealth building and financial aspects, um, negotiation, uh, body language. I just went right through and just kept mining out topics as I discovered these new things. And you know, I didn't know about copywriting until later on, but when I did, I studied all those books as well. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. And, you know, I guess uh, what kind of differentiates you because, you know, there's people who sort of read a, a ton of books and they just consume a bunch of knowledge, right? And it just goes nowhere. It's simply a matter of implementing. If you read something, implement it. A nice little golden rule is don't buy another course until you use the one you've already bought. Like I would say the best investment I've ever made hands down are the books on my library because I would uh, read the book, then implement it straight away into whatever I'm doing. And same now. I mean, I just read a book a few weeks ago. I implemented it immediately. I trained my team on it. We built a tool to use the technique and I've incorporated it into my new pattern and it's very effective. So it's now part of my unconscious competent memory bank and I'll just, I'll just use it straight up. But there's some formulas that I've used, uh, I don't know, since 1993 like that have just never failed me that, that have become automatic so that's really the goal if you're going to read books or do courses start using information mm, gotcha okay so james what happened after 2008 when you start when you quit job your job and started going off on your own oh well a lot happened i theorized that if i would quit my full-time job and redeploy those hours into my own business that i could actually survive in business and that was the biggest risk because I had four kids, I had a mortgage, and I could not afford to drop my income. And so I quit my job and immediately I started to get results, but I did work damn hard. Like I really hustled and grinded. Like you, you hear a lot of these young entrepreneurs talk about, like the old Gary V before he became all heartfelt and, and changed his position. Um, you know, I worked a lot and I just... I think I was protecting myself from any kind of financial crisis or impending doom by just making sure I put in that effort. And I built a really good machine. And then only in the last half a decade have I really been able to find leverage points and ease off and get more comfortable about not working so much to the point where I'm doing about 20 to 25 hours per week now. And it took a little bit of effort to get there, to untrain myself from um, classic cliches like work ethic and um you know guilt from you know that your team are working and you're not mm, i see how long did you have that mindset for of like the old gary v hustle mindset well i mean i just got thrown into it from about uh, 19 93 <laughs> on like uh, around about then I'd, I was always working several years worth of work to one year. I had an impeccable work ethic. I do believe a lot of it came from my family's financial un uh, you know, misfortune. I just wanted to protect myself from having go through that same situation. And I just worked extra hard. And then as you have kids and your financial obligations 
happen. Living in Sydney, it's not cheap. I just kept working. And it really, I really had to retrain myself to just ease back a bit and realise that you can, you can actually work less and make more, which is the title of my book, which is really a, a manual of the things I learned in that process of understanding. Um, really comes down to that one word, leverage. You can find leverage. You don't have to work yourself into a grave. And uh, I wasn't going to be... I'm not an Elon Musk or a Walt Disney or a Steve Jobs. I'm also you know, not a maniac or a tyrant. I'm just a normal person who wants to have a good income, but also have a life. And so James, was there an, an inspiration at some point uh, for that work less, make more sort of concept? Was it because like at some point there was a tipping point where you were like, I can't work anymore. Like I'm full, fully exhausted or something like that. I always protected myself from that. I mean, definitely when I was working my own business and someone else's business, I definitely reached total exhaustion and fatigue. Like I could not maintain that pace. I realized that I would suffer a major health catastrophe if I kept going. So I knew there was a time limit. It was like a candle burning at both ends. It's going to get to the middle and then that's it. So once I put one end out by quitting my job, it was manageable. Uh, however, um, the catalysts were a few things. One was learning how to surf and becoming so excited about it and interested in it that I wanted to make that a part of my daily routine. And then that forced creating that space so that I'm not working every minute of every day. Another catalyst was going to a training course and learning about having days off. It was a strategic coach course and they were talking about buffer days. And it took a lot of discipline for me to just switch off and walk away from my computer for a whole day because until you study about how hooked in we get uh, from guys like near EL, we don't realize how addictive and, and how um, manipulative the big platforms are in you know, taking over our bodies. <laughs> they just, they just um, get in there. They, they force us to attend. And the very nature of having a seven-day-a-week you know, 24-hour open business means it's always open and there's unlimited opportunity. And if you keep getting messaging like you're leaving money on the table, you know, you've got to hustle, you've got to grind, you know, while, while others are sleeping, I'm working, making money, uh, you know, you can fall into that trap. But it really is a trap. And there's so much evidence that good sleep, uh, time off, sharpening the saw is actually how you're going to have um, a more productive, happy outcome uh, than not mm. for entrepreneurs who are starting out um, and they're thinking well this can't be possible right like um, do you think it's actually possible for entrepreneurs starting out to achieve that like the work less make more sort of model or is that for later on well that's a good issue the one timing I would say I learned a lot from Peter Drucker and he had a saying along the lines of um, it's more important to do things, to do the right things than to do things right. So there's no, basically there's nothing so, so useless as doing the wrong things. And I would say work less, make more will work for people at any point in business to help eliminate a time wastage and resource wastage. Don't spend two years building a course, test the viability of it 
in two weeks first and then build it after you've collected a waiting list or some money for it. Um, find the best customers, the best products, the best services within your portfolio quickly and dump the rest. Get people to help you out earlier than what I did. So I could have cut years off my learning curve and added millions to my bottom line profit if I had uh, my book when I started. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, let's go back to when you started. Um, was it initially, was it first an online program and how did that program sell? The first thing I sold of my own was a cheat sheet. It was an information product and it was a one-time fee and it helped people who had a particular type of website software to get better results. And it was a very successful product. Um, it really initially was just my notes that I was using for myself and I figured other people might want this and I made it a bonus when people bought the software from me. And then I discovered the market of people who already had the software was much bigger than the market who were going to get the software. So I turned my focus to them and started selling the product directly and that went really well. So it added a good line of income. So my first real income was as an affiliate selling someone else's software. Then I added my own information product and now I had a list of buyers. Every single person in my database had purchased software for $200 or my information product for $40. Mm. Wow. That's really amazing. Things just sort of worked out for you from the very beginning. No, the first nine months, nothing worked out for me. It was like very hard for me to figure out how to build a website. I couldn't find anything that I could sell uh, that people would buy. It was, I had no idea what I, what I wanted to be when I grow up or, um, you know, which direction to go. I didn't know what I would sell. I just knew I needed to figure out how to build a website, which incidentally, I don't teach people anymore either. You shouldn't learn how to build a website. That's a big time suck unless you're going to be a professional website developer, in which case I'd still recommend you build a team and not learn how to build a website. Do you think, James, that things are a lot more different today um, because you were teaching like different things back then, like in 2008? Yeah, there's a few differences. I mean, absolutely the market is different. Um, the, the customers are different. The general public's different. The technology is different. And um, people are at different stages of the journey. But when I started online, there was no Facebook uh, or maybe it was just around in the beginning, but there was no Instagram. Uh, I don't think YouTube was there or it was only just. There were no Facebook pages. WordPress wasn't popular or even really known about. Um, AdWords, you could buy, you could bid on words like Mercedes-Benz for like $6. <laughs> it was a different time. And, there, you know, I've been running live events, teaching online marketing for over a decade, and definitely what we teach has changed. In the beginning, we had laptops and we taught how to build a website. And now we don't bring laptops. You know, we're sitting there with our iPhone, which also didn't exist when I started online marketing. And we learn more about running an actual business. So, yeah, it's definitely changed. There's definitely more people in. I've been podcasting for over 10 years. There weren't that many podcasts when I started, but there's over 700,000 now. Like, even your next door neighbor's got a podcast. So definitely it's changed. And the way people consume media has changed because of iPads and iPhones and Netflix and Amazon Prime and 
Apple, like the whole way we consume has, has changed. Like back in the old days, we'd, we'd have to go down to the video store in our car and pick up a tape that we'd take home and stick in a box and then rewind and then take back the next day. Like that, in a week, you might watch three VHS tapes. Now we'll watch three, three episodes on a show before lunchtime in a day, like six hours of video a day. So I remember how hard it was for me to try and figure out how to embed video onto my website or to put audio there when I was first podcasting. Very hard to put an audio player. Now, like Spotify, SoundCloud, completely different. We're talking to our machines now. We didn't used to do that. If you were to start today, how how would you do things differently? It's such a difficult question because I don't teach startups. I think it's incredibly hard. There's a lot of competition. Um, I would say bring whatever assets you've got to the table. Like what do you already, what are you already good at? What are people asking you for help with? Um, where can you learn anything? Like work under someone else, um, get involved in something, just start and get some motion and, and then quickly peel and stick. It's like a Perry Marshall saying, take the winners and dump the losers. So the chances are like people listening to this have got some kind of expertise or skill or people come to them for something. For me, they were always coming to me to, to grow their business and help it be, be more profitable. Like Mercedes-Benz would send me to a dealership and say, fix it. And so I knew how to build teams. I knew how to change the offers. I knew how to build communication systems and, and strategies and interpret financial numbers. And it, guess what? That's exactly what I'm doing now for my coaching Rolodex of really high-end online marketers whose names you'd recognize. And it just turns out I'm doing what I used to do, but in a, in a new media platform. So you know, what is it that you love or what are you really good at? I'd start with that and then be open to it progressing from there and try and work for good clients, like identify who you want to work for. This is a Jay Abraham technique, like list down the people you want to work for and approach them and and get in their face a bit and, and use a multimedia approach strategy and multiple touch points until they just give in <laughs> and get going. Uh, and this is the sort of conversation I'm having with my kids. Instead of spraying a thousand resumes off onto some jobs platform, go go phone up reception, find out the name of the person, send them a specific handwritten personalized letter that's only for them, that, as if they're the only person in the world you know, visit them face to face, send them uh, an email as well to follow up. Like just stay on it and they can't ignore you. Right. So in this crazy connected world we're in, the more personal, the better. The more personal, it's never been a bad strategy. If it's, if it's highly personal and highly relevant, that's why people like Gary Vee, they say, Hey, Facebook and hey twitter like they're trying to personalize to the platform even that little lame leader will will help like that little tagline will somehow make it more relevant for that platform even though it's still you're talking to a lot of people at once that's always been a copywriter's secret for writing emails is to talk to one person the same as when you speak at a live event instead of saying who here by a show of hands you're better off saying Put your hand up if now you're speaking to one person, not a crowd. 
And the same when you're applying for a job or trying to learn a new skill, like zoom in on it with massive relevance. Mm, amazing. Yeah. So James, uh, when did things start to transition towards super fast business? Um, I think I, I started using that site as a aggregator to publish the six or seven other sites that I had I put news content there. And then when I started to do a roll up to simplify my business for me and for my customers, I uh, was able to um, put the stuff there and make that the core site. So I think I first registered the name about uh, 2005 or 2006. And um, from from there, it just got stronger and stronger until, you know, it's quite a powerhouse site now. There's like 20,000 pages on it. It gets a lot of visitors. We have plenty of downloads for our podcast. Uh, whatever we put on it sells straight away. And it's a machine that I've built that, that takes, it's like building, you know, a garden. You bring out the, you clear the landscape, you lay the foundations, you do the work up front, and then you get the payoff. Um, or like having a fire, you go and chop the trees down, drag the logs in and, you know, you get it all going, then you can enjoy the heat. Mm. And that's the phase I'm in now. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. And what about your event? Can you talk a little bit about when that started? Um, so the first event was in 2009. Uh, I, I started the event because I had worked my way onto a speaking platform with about 600 people in the audience and I didn't know what to sell. And the promoter suggested I needed something for two or $3,000 and I'd do a 50% split with them. And I went on a adventure trip with some heavy hitters at the time of Yannick Silver and Mike Philsame and Joe Polish, Brad Fallon. And they said, sell an event just to have a workshop a few weeks after the event. So I did and I put on this workshop and I recorded it and I sold it for a couple of thousand dollars. Had, uh, I think I made 85 sales. So I spoke for 90 minutes and I made $85,000 for myself and $85,000 for the promoter in just 90 minutes. It's like almost $1,000 a minute, which was pretty good. Uh, and then I had to deliver the event. And, you know, since then I've run plenty of other events, um, sometimes two or three a year. Sometimes I skip a year. And I've got another one coming up just in a few weeks in Sydney. And uh, it's a really strong, uh, you know, crowd that come to that. Some of them have come to pretty much every single event. You know, that means over 10 years. So from 2009 to 2020, uh, that's a loyal crew and it's really the glue that bonds my super fast business membership community. And, and um, it's really well regarded because we've always done it a bit differently to other events. We feed and clothe the people and give them really great content and don't pitch them stuff and they keep coming back. It's a good quality product. That's amazing. Yeah. So James, um, the the model that you have, your business model is very, very simple. Like when people visit your website, they know exactly what you offer. Um, as opposed to other coaches, other business coaches who have like 10 or 20 different offers. Is there a reason why you have so little offers and keep everything so simple? Well, a confused mind makes no decision. So I've been through the complex phase of business and then I've been through the simple phase and 
no matter what, the simpler I make it, the more powerful it becomes. You know, if you wind back the clock four years ago, I would have had an SEO business generating seven figures a year and a website development business plus my coaching stuff. And whilst I could run it and I had a team of 65 people, it was a little more complex. And in the last 12 months, the first year where I've made more profit than when I had all those businesses together and I'm doing it off just two or three products. So I believe you can have simple, uh, I hesitate to use a reference like Tesla, but you know, just one or two models, but a big, a big following, they can still make a lot of sales. Now I don't know how their long-term profitability is going to be, but simple is definitely good whether you're doing programming or, or building a software as a service or you have an e-commerce site. Um, there's always going to be waste and unnecessary energy put towards things. So I'd say find where it's really working and just focus on that. Even if you're a gardener, like a rose bush, it's going to send energy to all the different branches unless you trim them. So my next door neighbor once, he just like cut my rose bush down to a stump but then it grew back so strong because all the energy just went straight to the, the ones he left. Mm, I see. Oh, that's really amazing. They're able to build something like that. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, James, is there something exciting that you're working on today? Some exciting projects? I'm always excited. I mean, it's, it's probably sounds terrible, but I'm the most excited about a surfboard specification that I just put through to a, a shaper because uh-huh. I do spend a lot of time thinking about that. And I'm just thankful I've created a business that allows me that time because I, f- I truly feel like I'm living and I'm genuinely excited about, I'm imagining and visualizing what this surfboard's going to be like when it's created. And mm. I enjoy the process of specifying it and uh, and then receiving it and waxing it up and surfing it it's kind of like a <laughs> that's amazing a journey yeah. and, and i even mm-hmm. have my own designs now that that i collaborate with the shaper and and when you create your own stuff there's nothing more exciting than that and i'm currently also working on another book so i like that process as well to try and distill the essence of what's in my mind and put it out there for other people to read and I get some, you know, occasionally I just get nice comments that make me uh, recognize that, you know, for some people it is helping out that, that they're um, getting some, some benefit from it. And it's not just a, a selfish sport, you know, like some people are saying how it helps them find more energy and be a better version of themselves and, uh, and how it's really made a transformation. I think we are in the transformation business, whether we're a business owner or or a, a parent. Let's let's just be good at it. I, I think that's something that I'm excited about. And I've got a one-year-old now, so I'm excited about that. That's that's a daily source of inspiration. No, that's great. Um, do you have any sort of uh, any teasers for the book, or is that kind of under wraps? Well, there's two right now. One is um, for people who are already making six figures and want to go to seven because that's my absolute sweet spot. I've had the most success. Someone who's making a couple of hundred thousand dollars, one or two hundred thousand dollars a year or 300 or 400 and they're kind of stuck and they want to be a seven-figure business owner. They don't want a million dollars a year. That's the book I'm making for them. And the other book I'm making is for memberships. It's teaching 
why you should have a membership, what a membership looks like, the best practice based on all my experience. I've run several memberships for over a decade and I've consulted with many others who have successfully built memberships in every market from horse riding through to copywriting. Mm, wow. That's, that's crazy. James, do you have any, any favorite books? Like if you were to give like your top five favorite books, what would those be in any category? Yeah. So really, again, I try and make it relevant for my audience, knowing what I know about your audience I would say psycho-cybernetics for the younger people starting out who want to develop a really strong mindset. It just teaches that we're a heat-seeking missile, basically. Whatever question we ask, our brain, it answers. I'd recommend Jay Abraham, Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got, because it was a book that really helped me. I'd recommend uh, Scaling Up, because I think uh, it's got some good tips for understanding the financial levers of a business and the, and the key points that make a difference that you should report on. I'd recommend uh, I'd recommend my book. I know it's a bit self-serving, but I do think it's a good guide. Work less, make more. And I don't know if you want to give me one topic or category, I can dial you into that. And mm, say mindset. Uh, so for mindset, um, if you've already got the psych- psycho-cybernetics, then read, it, read another book called The Go-Giver, uh, which would really help someone who's in that sort of a apprenticeship phase and wanting to understand that um, you know, there is a different way of thinking about giving and receiving. One of the best lessons in it is that you cannot give without getting back just like breathing out. If you breathe out, you will breathe in. And I think that helps break a lot of people who have blocks around money and money being the root of all evil and um, blah, blah, blah. It (laughs) becomes all of that. It helps Mm. you accept the fact that you can have great fortunes come your way, but it also gives you a guide on how to get it. Right. James, uh, in your book, Work Less, Make More, since you've talked about it, you talked about one thing that was pretty profound and pretty controversial energy management versus time management. And you've also mentioned that uh, of a three day work week on one of your podcast episodes, I believe, um, is that what you still believe energy management over time management? Oh yeah. Yes, I do. Although near EL who I had as a guest on my podcast, he talks about um, an even different version of, of that. Um, which you'd have to listen to him in, in his latest book about. Um, but, but yes, I think that really came from, um, from some pretty good researched work. Uh, one of the other books that I read where it's about energy management and I, like bunching a few books together where everything from willpower, uh, rediscovering your greatest strength to uh, books on execution by Schwartz. Uh, they talk about, the fact that you get a little more energy reserves in the morning and then you fade at night. So I like to stack hardcore activities early when I've got the most ability to deal with them. And then I do light duties in the evening. You know, that's a good time to do Netflix while you do social media when your brain's had enough for the day. And for me, yes, a three hour three day work week is a really good way for me to operate. It doesn't mean it's going to work for others. I think if you're earlier on in your business, then you've got, 
let's say you don't have kids and you're young and you can put a lot of energy to it and you can survive on a little sleep and you've got a big opportunity, then sure, make hay while the sun is shining and go for it. But if you're getting a little older and you just don't have the energy you used to or you just don't want to work all the time, then pace it out a bit. For me, three days a week is just about right. I feel satisfied with the work I'm doing and it keeps my machine going well, but also really enjoy my time off. That's awesome. Yeah. So James, do you have a vision for five to 10 years from now? No. Uh, I would say for me, it'll just be similar version to what I have now. I expect I'll be helping a few business owners. I'll be surfing every day, but better and my my kids will be a bit older and I'll have a few more properties under my belt and a couple more books on the, the bookshelf. That, that's what I expect life will look like, but I don't draw it down into minute details. I think the market will continue to change. There'll be lots of um, carnage. Between five to ten years, you'd have to think there'll be a recession and great opportunities for people. And I think my little portfolio of businesses that I invest in with my time capital or energy capital, uh, some of those will flower really nicely and uh, be great assets for me as well. So I'm pretty excited about the next five to 10 years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. You think very differently, James. (laughs) It's great to get your perspective. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience out there listening? Well, I think you've, you've really just named the main point is that we do control our own thoughts. If you're not happy with what you've got or how your life is, then you are in, you're the person that changes it. You're in the driver's seat. And instead of being jealous of other people, be the other people. Like you get to choose. Didn't have time to take notes? Well, get your free cheat sheet for this episode at unstoppablebusiness.com forward slash podcast.